This is a Lodestar podcast created by MK and Associates and your host, Mike King. Our sponsor is Project 44, operator of the world's most trusted end-to-end visibility platform. The Ever Given blockage of the Suez Canal locked up over 200 container ships for six days. Certainly this event has the option of creating much greater disruption. Is one of the things that we're looking at that why we don't think that supply chains are going to normalize this year. This is going to get further exacerbate the disruptions and challenges that we've been facing. As the bombs rain down on the people of Ukraine, creating a humanitarian catastrophe that could, like the conflict itself even, last a generation, you might have assumed that the experts you heard at the start of this podcast were talking about the trading impact of that conflict. But no, that will be the topic for the next Lodestar podcast as we digest just what this new war in Europe and sanctions mean for trade and logistics and globalisation itself, and of course, as well as for the victims, the people of Ukraine. In fact, those voices at the start of this podcast were referencing another threat to world trade, or rather a threat to the efficiency of that trade. And that's looming right now. It's already forcing shippers to change their sourcing and shipping plans. And that's the ongoing negotiations over a new labour contract between the International Longshore and Warehouse Union, the ILWU, which represents thousands and thousands of poor workers in California, Oregon and Washington State, and their employers, the Pacific Maritime Association representing shipping lines and terminal operators at 29 West Coast ports. The existing deal expires on July the 1st. And I might hear you asking, well, why should you care about a union dispute in the US in the summer? Why should you care about it now? And why should you care about it maybe if you don't even do business in the US? Well, the reason for that is if you're paying high freight rates in Australasia or South Africa or South Asia, At least part of the reason for that is that during this pandemic, so much capacity has been sucked into that trans-Pacific Asia to US trade as demand from US consumers has spiked through lockdowns that the poor queues that we see there and the shortage and rate increases that we see elsewhere have rippled around the world. So in short, any further disruptions to port productivity or the efficiency of that trans-Pacific containerized supply chain will simply add to the chaos we already have in the container trades and cause more havoc to that US logistics system that for listeners to the Lodestar podcast will know is already struggling to cope. And PMA ILWU negotiations have a history of turning sour with global ramifications. Dock workers reached an agreement Friday night that's expected to restart shipping across the entire western coast of the U.S. A new tentative five-year contract ends nine months of standoffs and negotiations between workers with the International Longshore and Warehouse Union and their employers, the Pacific Maritime Association. That clip is from 2015 when the previous round of negotiations between the ILWU and PMA were finally resolved after global shipping and U.S. industry had been in limbo for months on end. Thus far in the negotiating salvos from both sides, there hasn't been any sign that we might see a quick resolution to this. In fact, 
Most experts interviewed for this deep dive podcast said they expect that while a union strike is unlikely, brinkmanship is certain. And moreover, the timing of this couldn't be worse. So as we get into the labor contract for the ILW and the PMA, with the contract expiring on July 1, that's the height of the peak shipping season for retailers. It's the most important time for bringing our holiday merchandise into market. And as we've seen the disruptions over the past couple of years, this is going to add further stress to the system if a contract isn't in place and if any additional disruptions occur because the contract is completed. complete And as we've seen over the past 20 years of dealing with these negotiations, there always seems to be some kind of disruption that occurs, unfortunately. This is why we need the parties to sit down now and try to agree or at least discuss the key issues in advance of a contract expiration. That was John Gold, Vice President for Supply Chain and Customs Policy at the National Retail Federation. Now, as reported in the Lodestar.com in early March, NRF President and CEO Matthew Shea has written to ILWU President William Adams and PMA Chairman and CEO James McKenna, urging them to begin contract negotiations as soon as possible. Other shippers have been calling for action too. So what exactly are the negotiations about? Well, automation is one factor, but politics will also come into it as will the sizable profits that container lines have recorded these past two years. Over to Peter Tershwell, Vice President, Maritime and Trade at IHS Market. Well, I mean, let's be honest, there's a, a great deal of concern that these negotiations will break down and that there will be even more disruption on the docks on the West Coast. It's not a certainty. It hasn't happened yet. But there have been uh, disruption on the West Coast docks during every negotiation between the ILW and the PMA going back to the 1990s. And this year, there's a couple of factors that are new factors. One would weigh in favor of less disruption, and that would mean uh, a political factor. The fact that it is a very high priority of the Biden administration, which also happens to be a friend of labor, to keep cargo moving through the ports. That's why they appointed a port envoy, uh, John Porcari, directly representing the White House uh, and why uh, the, the, the administration has been right in the middle efforts to try to clear the docks, such as backing the, uh, the threatened fee on long-dwelling containers, that sort of thing. So will the union engage in disruptive activities against the wishes of a friendly government? I mean, that's, that's a question. On the other side, there's a huge clash over terminal handling automation. So the, the union in 2008 agreed that automation of container handling could occur on the West Coast. Now they have completely changed their view and they now want to deny the terminal operators the ability to automate their terminals. Well, the, the problem with that is that the union ever since 2008 has already been very heavily compensated for giving away the right to automate and to the tune of something like $800 million of, of compensation in wages and benefits. So the employers are saying, well, if you're going to take away my right to automation, what happens to that $800 million? But the other point of this is that they, uh, that there are more terminals that are going to want to automate the TTI terminal in Long Beach, which is uh, a ma majority owned by uh, MSC, the largest carrier in the world. They are planning to automate 
other terminals are planning to automate. And there's a good reason for it too. It's not just to fire dock workers and lower their costs. It's simply because in order for the ports at LA Long Beach to grow, the only way to do that is to densify the operations. There's no more land. Anybody who's been there knows that there's not a single square foot of land to expand those ports. And so therefore the expansion is going to have to come through densification. Densification really is predicated on, on automation. So this is a big area of potential clash and which is one of the reasons why uh, a lot of people are worried over what's going to happen during these upcoming negotiations. On top of the points Peter mentioned, we also have these huge carrier profits, which is one of the reasons it's suspected that the ILWU has already turned down one extension of the existing deal. Essentially, the ILWU is in a very, very strong negotiating position right now. And right now, of course, the stakes are far higher in many ways than in 2015. Because after two years of pandemic-driven demand, freight rates on most shipping and airlines are at near record levels. Capacity shortages have been in evidence across the US logistics system for some time. And this is already driving inflation globally as well as in the US. And inflation has just been given another major shot from Russia's horrific invasion of Ukraine, which is pushing energy in some commodity prices, such as wheat, up to record or near record levels. Over to Lee Klaskow, Senior Analyst for Transportation and Logistics at Bloomberg Intelligence. We are dealing with an inflationary environment, and a lot of that inflationary environment has to do with transportation costs. We're all connected, right? It's like the matrix. It's just there's going to be a, a ripple effect across everything because if the port's operating less efficient, that means the railroads and the drayage operators are going to be less efficient. Uh, that means the retailers will be less efficient. Uh, that means retailers will probably face higher costs. That means margins will get squeezed. That means their earnings won't be as good. So there, there's just, it just goes on and on. They might decide their hiring practices based on when they expect freight to come in. So that can impact employment. So there's a real, there's a real a ripple effect of what goes on at the ports of, of, of Southern California. They're extremely important, not only to the U.S. economy, but the global economy. This is a Lodestar podcast created by MK and Associates and your host, Mike King. Our sponsor is Project 44, operator of the world's most trusted end-to-end visibility platform, which tracks more than 1 billion shipments annually for over 1,000 of the leading brands, including top companies in manufacturing, automotive, retail, life sciences, food and beverage, and oil, chemical, and gas. Using Project 44, shippers and carriers across the globe drive greater predictability, resiliency, and sustainability. At TPM 22, held at Long Beach at the end of February, start of March, shipping lines failed to offer much hope that West Coast negotiations might proceed without some disruption. One CEO, Jeremy Nixon, called the Labour talks another curveball for the West Coast ports. While Vincent Clerk, CEO for Ocean and Logistics at AP Mollamersk, told shippers they should hope for the best but prepare for the worst. And shippers are already doing exactly that. John Gold. So retailers are already putting their mitigation strategies into place now as they're planning for their peak season. They're already looking at bringing product in earlier in the peak season to try to avoid disruptions, looking at shifting product to Coast and Gulf Coast, and looking at other alternatives as well. 
They're already ordering, they're already planning, they're preparing for the worst case scenario. I think the worst case scenario is that we don't have an agreement in place by July 1 and we see additional disruptions, slowdowns that further hurt the supply chain. In all this, time really is of the essence. Given the nature, for example, of production backlogs in China, the scarcity of equipment and slots on the Trans-Pacific trade, those huge vessel queues at Long Beach and LA, and the lack of trucking warehouse and rail capacity throughout the US. Over to Brian Whitlock, Senior Director and Research Analyst at Gartner. The, the transit times from order book to pulling a container out of the port today in the West Coast is currently close to 80 days. So it's more than two months. If in fact there's further disruption, that lead time will, will certainly extend even longer. Companies uh, need to be planning today for this disruption. So uh, many leading companies are already diverting cargo to the east and southern ports. While they can't divert it all, they're making meter decisions around what, what risk appetite they have, what the priority of their products are, and what they need to start looking at in terms of you know, moving products, diverting to other ports, using alternate modes like air freight or pulling orders. And, but all of those things need to be considered and they need to start considering them uh, now. All of which could mean a potential bonus for U.S. East Coast ports to have a far better record in terms of maintaining operations uh, while also negotiating union deals, according to Peter Tershwell. You're seeing uh, the, the import market share numbers are showing a swing back to the Gulf and the East Coast. You're seeing increasing uh, evidence of vessels waiting offshore on the East Coast. Savannah has worked down their numbers. There's something like 30 ships off the coast of Charleston, like there were with New York, which for months had not seen a single ship waiting at anchor. Now is starting to, those are starting to materialize off of New York. The carriers are adding capacity to the East Coast. The uh, East Coast stock workers and the East Coast employer group, the USMX, are sort of engaging in some level of dialogue regarding extending their contract possibly for six years. If, if they were to do that, that would send an unmistakable signal to the shippers that regardless of what's going on on the West Coast, your cargo is safe here. There is not going to be a disruption on the docks. And that's been the history. So as much disruption as there's been on the West Coast, the East Coast, ever since the 1970s, it's been virtually silent when it comes to longshore labor disruption. A few tiny little skirmishes over the years, but nothing significant. Indeed, as Peter mentioned, there are already signs that more ships are heading to the U.S. East Coast. But do they have the capacity? According to Sea Intelligence, the number of vessels scheduled to depart Asia and subsequently arrive on the North American West Coast will increase sharply in the coming weeks, to the point that the number of vessels will be 40% higher than pre-pandemic normality. Now, this will in itself add further pressure to port infrastructure on the West Coast but, according to Sea Intelligence, what's even more alarming is that there is likely to be a 60% increase in the number of vessels on the Asia-North America East Coast trade lane in the coming months, as carriers try to circumnavigate that congestion on the West Coast. This will severely increase pressure on port infrastructure on the East Coast too. Over to Peter Sand, Chief Analyst at Zenita. We already see that some of the uh, congestion that used to be very centered uh, around the uh, San Pedro Bay port complex 
has moved to the East Coast, but also has moved up to uh, to British Columbia parts of uh, of the uh, U.S. West Coast. And the Mexican ports uh, are already uh, super busy, but but not necessarily set up to uh, to enable U.S. Uh, imports. So I think the disruptions that we are likely to see uh, in in relation to uh, the upcoming uh, negotiations are going to be pretty significant. And, and I think that's why you, uh, you already now see a lot of uh, shippers uh, trying to avoid uh, getting caught into to that hassle. I mean, it's clocked up uh, hassle already, but you do not need to be a part of this if you can avoid it. Back in 2015, federal negotiators acting under order from President Obama stepped in to help resolve matters between the PMA and the ALWU. Is Joe Biden likely to be the saviour of US logistics this time around? Back to Gartner's Brian Whitlock. I expect uh, President Biden will likely step in at some point and ask the union to go back to work while negotiations continue. So very similar to what Bush and, and Obama did. Again, though, that being said, it's it's uh, extremely likely that if, if no, um, no agreement is reached, union labor will most likely slow down work much as they did in 2015. So regardless of whether they're on strike or they're slowing down work, it's going to have significant impacts on port operations. I'd like to thank my editing team, the amazing Karen Ball and Tom Matthews. Big thanks also to our sponsors, Project 44. And gratitude to you all, of course, for taking the time to listen. We'll be back soon. 